welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. the best home improvements an owner can do to maximize the resale value? What can you do to an unfinished basement that will increase the value of your home? And can you over-improve? My guest today is especially qualified to answer these questions and offer great advice for homeowners who are thinking about remodeling. In fact, he's known as the appraiser coach. He writes extensively about this subject and mentors other appraisers. And I'm really excited to say that he is also a fellow podcaster. He's the host of The Appraiser Coach. Welcome, Dustin Harris. It's so good to be with you today. I'm really glad you had me on the show. I know you're a really busy guy, and I'm just so thrilled that you could be on because this subject today that we're discussing is something I hear a lot about and people ask about. So let's just jump right in. What are really, from your point of view as a you know, licensed appraiser for the past 25 years or so, what are the most valuable improvements you think a homeowner can make that would really, you know, help the value if they're thinking about selling in the next few years? Such a great, great question. It's a question that we get a lot as appraisers. Uh, you know, we get in and out of a lot of different homes and have opportunities to talk with and visit with and educate, if you will, homeowners across uh, uh, the areas that we cover. And this probably, Patty, is, is the number one question that I get asked. Uh, well, other than, hey, what's the value of my home as I'm walking up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet that's the one. <laughs> well, I'm there, right? Uh, but uh, but I, I love this question because, there, first of all, there's not an easy answer. And, and of course, that's, you know, that's the case with a lot of these types of questions. Uh, but it's a, it's a question that can be answered if we step back for just a minute. So if you don't mind, let me just step back for just a minute. And I know your listeners are going to understand this, but I think it's important to set the foundation and remind them that there is a difference, of course, between price, cost, and value. Sometimes I think as, as human beings, we just kind of mix and, and mingle those words in our head and, and kind of equate them, if you will. And they're really not, uh, they're really not the same thing. Uh, and, and I'm not going to focus so much on price today, but let's talk about cost versus value, because I think that is such an important concept and it'll probably run as a general theme throughout our conversation today. So cost obviously is, is what you're going to pay for something. And that's going to include labor. That's going to include, uh, your, your materials. It's also going to be the cost of your time and stress and maybe being, being displaced out of your home while you're doing a remodel. All of those things have to be figured into cost. And then you have to, on the other side, say, what is going to be the value? Is this going to improve the value of my home? This is going to keep the value of my home the same? Is it going to decrease the value of my home? I've seen home improvements where people have spent thousands of dollars that have actually decreased the value of their home. And so you have to be careful about uh, equating cost versus value. And you also have to be careful about making sure that you figure both of those things into uh, into play. So your question was about, you know, what what would bring the most value? What types of things could we improve overall uh, to improve the value of your home? Let me first of all tell you what won't bring the value, if you will. Um, some of the things that I think homeowners look at is they think if I spend X amount, again, cost, 
on this type of improvement. Let's say it's a deck, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want a deck. I'm going to build a deck. It's going to cost me $6,000 to build the deck. My home is worth $200,000 now. It's going to be worth two two oh six when I get done, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not necessarily. Uh, again, cost doesn't equal value. And so what you cost or what you pay, rather, to improve or give an amenity to a home may not necessarily actually net you in value. For example, uh, going back to the deck uh, uh, situation in my market, and by the way, every market across the U.S. is is different, and so that's why you need appraisers who are what we call geographically competent in their markets. I couldn't pick up and 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 go to Michigan and and feel confident, even though I've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, appraising in that marketplace. I know about appraisal and I know about valuation and I consider myself a valuation professional, but I'm not an expert in that particular market. So keep in mind some of the examples that I give today will be very uh, um, focused on the market that I cover, which is which is Idaho, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, just to, by the way, just small areas in those in those three states. But for example, in in my area, Someone might spend, I don't know, six to eight thousand uh, dollars in actual cost when you look at uh, both labor and materials to build a deck. And frankly, it might, and and I and I stress that word might add two to three, maybe four thousand dollars in value. And so then you've got to step back and say, okay, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? And it may be. It's not all about value. Mm -hmm. You also have to keep in mind, you know, sometimes people just want stuff. They just want to improve their home. And that's fine too. Uh, in other words, if you just look at it from a purely financial standpoint, uh, you may not make the best decision for you and your family and what you want to live in. But getting back to your question, and I, and I hope I didn't get too off in the weeds there, but I kind of wanted to lay the foundation. Mm -hmm. Getting back to your, your question, the things that improve value the, the, the quickest are some of the same things that you see flippers doing. Okay? They understand this concept. They understand what it what it means to go in and improve a home and then resell it. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about putting lipstick on a pig. I've seen flippers that do that as well, and that's not a good thing. What I'm saying is you need to look at, at what we call effective age and condition. And, and, and those things sound kind of out there, and we'll leave that to the appraisal professionals, which is fine. But it's not that hard to understand. Basically, an appraiser comes in and you may have an actual age of, say, 50 years on a home. OK, mm -hmm. but that appraiser is actually going to attach what they call an effective age to that home. In other words, they're saying it may be actually 50 years old, but it's been improved over the years. It's been updated over the years. Um, things have been added to it over the years. And overall, it feels more like a 20 year old home. And, and, and that's a simple way to describe effective age. That home is going to be valued more on effective age than it will on actual age. And so anything that's going to help you to improve that effective age, Patty, is going to help you to improve the value of your home. Same is true with condition. So to be specific, floor coverings, wall coverings, uh, you know, things that improve the overall look and feel of the home are probably going to give you the best value. Well, that's uh, really interesting, Dustin, because I now when I look through a home, in fact, when I meet with sellers, I'll tell them oftentimes if, if they're asking my opinion about this and it's from a realtor's perspective, of course, not an appraiser. But I always say, look, where the money tends to be with buyers from from my standpoint is they look at master bedrooms and baths 
master baths and garages and kitchens. Those are like the big ticket items that if, if you, you can have lesser than, you know, in other areas of the home, lesser standards or whatever, or datedness, but you've just like really totally redone the master bath and the popular trending colors and, and textures. And you've updated the kitchen, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. That tends to be what the buyers, these current buyers are looking for. It was, but that's interesting that you say that the, the floor coverings and wall, you know, paint and wall coverings uh, are really important. And I think that your, your point is well taken, and I think that it's not off the mark at all. Um, we as appraisers and realtors, um, when, when, they, when they price the home, need to look at things through the eyes of a buyer. What does this market sustain? Uh, what will be the competing properties out there? Using the law of substitution, if a typical buyer looks at, say, 30 homes in this price range, which one is going to sell? And, and, and to that, your point is well-founded. When they walk into a home, um, kitchen is a big, big deal. Bathrooms are a big, big deal. But what you don't want to do is separate those things from the general over, overall feel of the home. In other words, if you walk into a home that was built in the 70s and still has 70s shag carpet and still <laughs> yeah. the paneling, the, the, the old wood uh, uh, brown paneling on the walls and maybe has lava rock uh, you know, around the mantle in the living room, but then you walk into the master bath and it's been completely updated with granite and travertine and marble and, and looks just beautiful, looks like a brand new home. If that's the only part that you have updated, you're going to have a problem and have a hard time selling that because a buyer is going to look at that as a fixer upper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, it's definitely, I always tell uh, sellers simple things that they can do. For example, draperies, heavy drapes, get them out of there. I tell them, just take them off. I'd rather see nothing on your windows, no window treatments whatsoever, than heavy drapes that date a home, make it look dark, make it look, you know, older because it's colors from, you know, 15, 20 years ago even 10 years ago in some cases. So I just tell them to take it down totally. I don't know if that, if that matters when an appraiser is coming through, uh, but certainly the buyers, I think it makes it look a lot more updated. Drapes are a great sound barrier. So if you're doing a podcast, I would say keep them up. But I think, I think if you're just selling a home, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Cause it'll uh, buffer some of that sound, right? <laughs> um, I gotta, I, I'm just really curious when you mentioned about when you're going through a home for an appraisal, do you find, and I would imagine the answer is yes, that sometimes that, uh, home owners will follow you around because they're so stressed out about what you're going to come back with. No, some some do, some don't, and and I'm fine with that. You know, this is their territory, this is their home, and and I get it. I mean, it's no fun to have a stranger walk. I mean, I recently had an appraisal, and uh, and you know, I, I as an appraiser, I get it, and so I kind of stayed out of out of this individual's way, but. Uh, I know the tendency is to be there and to and to show them, you know, all of the ceiling fans and the contact paper that you've recently put in the uh, the drawers and you know every little aspect of your home. Uh, I respect that. I honor that. Hey, we're in their territory, and 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 I'm fine with that. And tr to be honest with you, Patty, I like to teach. I like to educate, and that gives me an opportunity to answer some of the same questions that you're asking me with a homeowner. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the questions that um, 
I'm always curious about when I'm looking at appraisers, uh, uh, excuse me, appraisals, and I'm uh, a house that I'm selling, and I'm looking at what they, what the comps that they've used, and what the appraiser cited as value for things that are subjective. And in in the area that I'm in, in Southern Maryland, because it's not dense enough as far as uh, population, you know, the, the areas or radius, I should say, of the subject property to the comps that have recently sold. You see an awful lot of heavy uh, subjective valuations by appraisers. So, for example, a fireplace. It can be, you know, $2,500. It could be $1,000. It could be, you know, more than $2,500. There's, and that's just one thing. Then you go down the list of a deck, a patio, a pool. That's a big one. Um, all those types of different um, amenities in a home or features in a home can make a huge swing. I, I literally had uh, a property that I sold last year, and it was uh, bought by a Relo company for the homer, homeowner, and they had two appraisals done, and the appraiser, the one of the appraisals came back at like, oh, I'm trying to remember the, the exact figures now, but it was like 500 plus thousand, 510,000, and then the other appraisal came back at like 430, 430,000. So it was a huge swing. So they ended up getting ultimately a third appraisal. But I told the seller, I said, and, and only because the seller requested it because he felt that the higher appraiser appraisal was the better, of course, like all sellers tend to think, and that's fine. But I told him, I said, be careful what you wish for if you ask for a third appraisal. Because, by the way, that property that was being appraised had three comps used on each appraisal, but none of them were the same. So two different appraisers used three different sets of, of, uh, of houses that they chose for comps. Well, a third appraisal was done, and it came in lower than the 430. It came in like at 415. The house ultimately sold for like 375. Um, and it was just, I mean, the, the, the Relo company took a beating on what the house was actually worth. And the looking at the appraisal from the first, pro, the, the high appraisal, they used a comp that was in a very much more prestigious neighborhood and just a, just it was an outlier is how I viewed it and it skewed the numbers to the point where because it sold for like 579 so it skewed the other two comps and that appraisal to be much higher so how do you uh since you teach and mentor a lot of appraisers not to get into the weeds too much about this but I think people might find it interesting. You know, how do you teach appraisers to not do that, not have some outlier like that? And how do you be fair to the homeowner, but also fair to the bank that you're, you know, that you've been hired to do the appraisal for? Um, how, how, as far as uh, being subjective with some of those evaluations. Good question. I'll tell you, that's a frustrating situation uh, that you just described. And it's not a, a highly unusual situation to have a couple of appraisals come back, you know, somewhat different. Uh, your your example, uh, I hope, is a, an anomaly. Um, I hope that there's not that big of a of a swing. But remember, we've got to step back and say, you know, what is an appraisal? Uh, what is uh, the process of appraising or valuing a property? And and it does come back to some really significant things that you you uh, rightfully hit on, Patty. It's so important. Number one, I I feel the most important aspect of the appraisal process from start to finish. And, and keep in mind, there are a lot 
of nuts and bolts that go into an appraisal. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's almost humorous. Uh, as I do walk out the door, I kind of joked about it earlier, Patty, that sometimes I'm walking out the door, people will say, well, so what, what's the value? As if, you know, as if there's <laughs> six hours of work after I leave their home, right? <laughs> um, so there's a lot that goes into this, but the absolute most important aspect of appraising in my mind is comp selection. If you don't know how to choose the proper comparables, then you're going, I don't care what your adjustments are, you're going to get the wrong value. And I think it's absolutely essential that appraisers understand what comp selection looks like. And by the way, it is an art. It is an art mixed with science mm-hmm. to be able to choose the right comps. And I've seen appraisers that, that, that do it and do it well. And I've seen others that might need a little coaching and might need a little uh, uh, mentoring uh, to get it right. Uh, I think anybody can, can learn it. And I think anybody can get to that point and they have to understand their marketplace. They have to understand, for example, that, that you may have a, a sale across the street from your subject, but that sale, even though it may be similar in square footage, it may be similar in quality, it may be similar in condition, uh, maybe similar in year built, may not be a quote unquote comparable. Sales are not comps. Uh, comps are always sales, but sales are not comps. And 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 you've got to be able to discern which ones are comparable and which ones aren't. And as you pointed out, where an appraiser might move to a different, maybe more prestigious neighborhood, they either have to make a market adjustment for that and and understand how to do that, or they shouldn't use the comparable at all. The other aspect of this, you mentioned the word subjective. And, and you know, appraisal has changed over the years and is continuing to evolve and get better. Uh, in the past, years ago, decades ago, I would even say, it was very acceptable for an appraiser to have a much bigger opinion about things than they do now, which I think is a move in the right direction. In other words, subjective adjustments were much more acceptable in the marketplace before than they are now. An appraiser who understands how to do his or her job uh, will step back for a moment and say, okay, is this a subjective adjustment? And if it is, do I dare use it? In other words, I think it is the the key element of a good appraisal in addition to picking the right comps to making the right adjustments. And the only way to make the right adjustments is to use the proper tools to come up with not subjective adjustments, but supported adjustments. Hmm. Do you find it harder to appraise then uh, if you're, if it's a, um, say a, a seller contacts you and they're thinking about selling their house and they decide they want to get an appraisal done first. So you don't know what it's going to be listed for. No realtors come in there saying this is what they think it's worth uh, versus uh, is that easier or more difficult than when you have, uh, you're doing an appraisal for a, a, a sales contract that you already get a copy of, you know what the sales price is and really your job is to validate that sales price. And I would I would back up for just a second and say our job as an appraiser is to be an unbiased third party. Uh, it's never to rubber stamp or validate a purchase price. However, it is important that a purchase price be considered. Some people have this misconception that if we have a quote unquote purchase price or we have a contract in front of us, that it's our job to to reach that number, which is absolutely not true and shouldn't be the case. If an appraiser is doing their job, uh, they should come up with an unbiased uh, third party uh, look and value at at a, a, a professional valuation of a home, regardless of what the purchase price is. However, I think it's also important to understand that that our ethics, uh, we call them USPAP, the U- Uniform Standard of Professional Appraisal Practice, requires that we take a look at all current offers on the property. Why? 
Well, because current offers do have an effect and they do need to be considered. Now, that doesn't mean we're reaching for a certain point. That means that they need to be considered because they are part of the valuation process. We play a little game in our office, Patty, that uh, is, is kind of fun uh, just to kind of test ourselves a little bit. Um, when we have a purchase, we try not to look at the uh, contract and, and go ahead and do the appraisal uh, completely blind, if you will. Uh, to 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 find out where we're at. And then at that point, we might consider that uh, contract price and look and see where that uh, that uh, uh, that number is and see how it compares to what we came up with value-wise. If an appraiser is doing their job and doing their job properly, it's their role sometimes to that value may protect the potential buyer. I've had buyers call me up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I almost wasted $25,000. I'm so glad you weren't swayed by the contract price, but you were willing to be honest in what the value really was because I almost made a mistake. Mm. Well, that's a, I really like that, um, that stamp, you know, that sounds like a very ethical standpoint uh, approach to really uh, just do your job regardless of, of whether you know the number that someone's offering to pay and then see how it compares. Do you find um, it helpful when you have information, additional information about a property? For example, when I'm listing a home, I always ask the seller to prepare me a list of any improvements that they've made since they've owned the house, an approximate year they did it, an approximate uh, amount of money, what it cost them to do that improvement. And then I provide that list to every time I have an appraisal done on a listing of mine. And I find appraisers like to have that information because then it can help them if there's some gray area they're not sure of or in finding value. Do you find that to be the case as well? Information is always better than less information. I would rather have information and not need to use it than not have the information and need to use it. And so I welcome any data that is, th that is uh, given to me, prepared for me. Uh, it will be considered. I think that, that we have to step back, though, sometimes and, and say, you know, there is this line between uh, being pushy with the value and just providing information. And as long as an appraiser and a realtor or a homeowner can understand that where that line is of ethics, I would even say, uh, then, then more information is great. Give me all the information you have. And if it is uh, something that I can consider and something that affects what I do in, a, in evaluation, um, all the better to have it. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good because <laughs> that's what I've been doing for a long time. <laughs> and it really does help, uh, you know, just answer those questions that, that they may not know. You're looking at a comp that's sold and you don't necessarily know everything about that property, obviously. Um, so, but a property that you are currently appraising, if you have a list of what all has been done, I would imagine that, that could be really helpful. Um, what would you say if a seller asks what they can do if they're if they're thinking about finishing a basement and they want to sell their home say in another year or two um, even if they're not thinking about it right away but in the in the few next few years are there tips and advice that you would recommend that someone keep in mind like for example putting in an additional bedroom uh, whether it had an egress window or didn't have if it was a considered a functional bedroom that's something that gets talked about a lot with the egress uh, windows and closets, uh, full closets in a, you know, what makes constitutes a legal bedroom and, and things like that. And also putting an additional bath. Let me answer that question, but let me back up to something you said earlier. And I, and I think it's important to point out 
um, that you know sometimes realtors actually will will give me a, a handful of comparables in sales, and and sometimes people will, uh, my appraiser buddies, my peers, uh, those that I coach and mentor might say, no, that makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel like they're they're pushing value on me. And I say, well, did they hand them to you and say you must use these? Uh, because that would be a little push. <laughs> And if they're just giving you information, it is information and, and you can consider it or not consider it. One of the things that you said I really that resonated with me is that sometimes there's information out there that's not readily available, say, through the MLS. For example, you might hand me for quote unquote sales that I, I'm going to determine whether or not they're comparables. But you might hand me four and four, uh, four sales and say, hey, I'm handing you these, these, these four sales, but one of them – you need to know was a pressure sale. It was, you know, they had to get out quick, da, 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 da. That kind of information may not be disclosed on the MLS, and it's something that I could verify through another uh, another party, uh, but might be very, very helpful where without that information, there might be a mistake made. And so I think more information, again, as I said earlier, more information is better than less information. Uh, now, to answer your question regarding basements, yeah, basements are, are a tricky, tricky thing. Uh, and some, you know, some uh, areas throughout the country don't have basements, and so this won't apply to uh, to a lot of areas, but in my area we have basements and they're a big deal. The problem with basements and what you run into is in a lot of markets, I know my markets uh, very much reflect this, that basements are not the same as what we call gross living area, which would be above grade uh, living area, which would be a first floor, a second floor, a third floor. Uh, and, and each of those types of floors and types of uh, styles of homes might sell differently. A lot of times what you find is below grade square footage will actually sell for less, sometimes half as less as as main floor. You've got a ranch with a basement and let's say you've got 1,500 square feet on, on the main floor and another 1,500 square feet below. Well, the price per square foot on the main floor may be twice as much sometimes as as what's below. Why is that? Well, again, it reflects the buy, the buyer's market. It reflects what people look for. Um, it, it, you know, maybe a walkout basement might be a little different situation than than a, a fully enclosed basement. But then you talked about, you know, egress windows. And 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 this I think is a is a bit of a misconception. Uh, sometimes people think that that first of all that egress windows are required in order for basement area to even be counted. I think in most markets with most lenders, uh, even through FHA, uh, through VA, that is not the case. Um, it used to be, I think, years ago. Uh, that, that you had to have at least two exits from a basement. Uh, that's not necessarily the case now, but can it be counted as a bedroom? Can it be only counted as a den? You know, again, that depends on your market. That depends on the lender. That depends on the client. There's a lot of dependent uh, issues there that have to be looked at. I can tell you in my market, uh, Patty, I don't see a huge difference, honestly, in value between a bedroom and a den. Uh, it's more about the percentage of finish in the basement. Uh, now, if you've only got one or two basements on, uh, excuse me, one or two bedrooms on the main floor, uh, then yes, I live in an area with large families. They're going to be looking for a bedroom and something that can then that can qualify for a bedroom. But if you've got say three or four bedrooms above grade, and then you've got other living space below, the difference between a den, which would in, in which would require basically just space versus a bedroom, which would need a closet and an egress window uh, and privacy, of course, and be big enough. Uh, there's a lot of aspects that go into that, are really nil. Uh, the, the, the studies that we've done, the numbers that we've crunched, uh, basically don't uh, qualify for an adjustment in most of the areas that I work, depending on, of course, the neighborhood and the situation. Mm -hmm. Now, I see properties where you have, like you were just saying, maybe 
if you had two bedrooms above grade, and if you were to put a third bedroom uh, in a basement, that that seems to me be something that would greatly improve the value to make it at least a three bedroom. Also, by the same same concept, if you only have one full bath, whether it's a one and a half bath or just one full bath, and that's all you have. Say it's a little rambler, but it's on a base. You know, you have a basement, and you can put another full bath. Seems to me that the full bath, if you only have one. Now, if you already have two, or you already have three full baths, that wouldn't be the case. But and, and I'll have, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. But if you only have one full bath from the original structure, you buy that property, you end up putting another full bath. That seems to increase the value greatly. Is that correct? That again, it depends on the market. One of the one of the things that a an appraiser's job is is to be able to look at things through a buyer's eyes. What would a buyer pay for? You know, fill in the blank. Uh, and these are questions that we get often. You know, if I put in a pool, uh, what's it going to do to to value? If I again going back to the deck uh, um, situation, if I put in a deck, what's that going to do for me? Again, the question is is uh, that's on the table is if I put in a bathroom, what's that going to do in value? Well. The answer, you're not going to like this, Patty, but the answer is it depends. It depends on <laughs> it depends on the house. It depends on the situation. It depends on uh, you know the the current buyer seller situation uh, ratio. It depends on a lot of things. But in general, you're absolutely right. If you've got a large home and let's say it has one or two bed uh, bathrooms rather on the main floor, and you've finished off a basement and you've decided because it costs more again going back to cost versus value, it costs more to put a bathroom downstairs. So I'm going to avoid it and I'm just not going to have a bathroom downstairs. Well, guess what? A buyer is going to recognize that. A buyer is going to notice that. you got three bedrooms in the bath in the basement with no bathroom and people in the middle of the night have got to trudge up the stairs to find a bathroom. That's not a good thing for sellability. And, and that, that, uh, that goes into what we call functionality of a home. And, and that has to be looked at. It's not just about, gee, this is a nice home in a nice neighborhood. It's, it's got to be about functionality as well. Do I have to walk through, for example, a, a, a bedroom to get to another room? Uh, that might be a functionality problem. And, and likewise, you're talking functionality when there's just not enough bathrooms to support the typical family size that would be included in that, uh, that home, that dwelling. Well, it sounds like appraising is uh, extremely difficult. Sounds like um, I've and I've always thought it, it really took a lot of education, but but um, smart um, subjectivity, unfortunately, uh, and that's just not something that you can, you know, go to school for and get a degree in. <laughs> so you either have it or you don't. I think. I mean, I think probably somebody like you can train an appraiser to hone those skills, develop those skills even. Um, but it does seem like it's a very difficult thing. And I've always looked at selling homes and telling sellers, look, you know, value of homes and appraising and what, you know, what a buyer will pay and so forth and pricing of the home is really not, it's not an exact science. It's really more like a yard sale. You know, you put a a lamp in out on a yard sale and you put a sticker on it. Somebody comes by and they just pay what your sticker price and then other people want to haggle. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just not an exact science. I think appraising is all just fun and games. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about fun. That doesn't sound fun. (laughs) You know, I I get paid to peek in in other people's closets, Patty. I mean, how fun, how fun, how, and as you do too, as you do. (laughs) So, 
No, the, the, you nailed it. You nailed it. It is a mixture of science and art. And and one of the things that's interesting about appraising that is you it's hard to find this. You know, back in colonial America, a long time ago, this was the standard. The standard was to find a mentor. Uh, and and basically internship under that person. Uh, you would you would learn at the foot of the master, and and that's kind of gone away. Uh, it's gone to colleges, it's gone to universities, it's gone to education. And by the way, uh, currently you do have to have a four year degree to be a, uh, a licensed appraiser, um, but they also have a mentorship. It is an internship. It's a it's a an ability to find a mentor that's willing to stay with that individual for two to three years because it's not just about book knowledge. It's not just about watching a couple of YouTube uh, videos and finding out quote unquote how to appraise. There is an art that goes into appraising that can't be learned overnight. That can't be learned in a month. That can't be learned in a year. And so. You will mentor under someone else who has learned and can pass on that knowledge and that ability to be able to see things through the eye of a buyer. That's what typically makes a, a successful appraiser, being able to, to actually see the markets for what they are and, and to judge the emotions, if you will, of a buyer, but not to get emotional about the process of valuation. Well, I, ha I am aware of the changes that have, uh, have occurred in the appraising um, you know, industry that uh, appraisals have to have a four-year degree now and have to be uh, go through a mentorship uh, program for several years. And I am just waiting for the day that that occurs in the real estate industry because I have always said for a long time now the bar is way too low for someone to get their real estate uh, license in Maryland. Here it is only a sixty-hour course. That's one. If, if, if you were in college, it's a one-three credit course. That's nothing. I mean, it's just absolutely nothing. Um, I, I do think you should have to have a, a college degree, a four-year college degree, and I think that you should have some type of mentorship. I mean, not to get on a bandwagon, but I, I feel really strongly about this because we're dealing with, you know, just like you, we're dealing with someone's largest investment oftentimes uh, of their life. So why would you want somebody who this is just, you know, some little side part-time job for them and they really don't know what they're doing and, and uh, can really, you know, cost people a lot of money. So I think you're, I think you're right in that. It's, it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. I do want to clear the record. They have uh, the AQB, the appraisal uh, qualifications board did recently make some changes that uh, as of this recording have not occurred, but will be in the next few weeks uh, making some changes with regard to the four year degree. But the important thing is that mentorship, that ability to be able to be with somebody who really understands and knows what they're doing. And I'm telling you, it is the difference between between an incredible appraiser and and somebody who is is just should not be in the industry at all, and, and it really comes down to the mentor, to the the amount of time that that mentor is willing to spend with the trainee and to help that trainee to 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 learn the ropes, to learn the area, to learn the marketing process, so that there are less subjective decisions made and more. Uh, scientific or really studying the data and understanding what is happening with each individual uh, assignment that we uh, that we take on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, well. You, you. I tell you what. You've given some really, really good advice. I think you've opened my eyes a little bit to not only. Uh, I, I knew there was a gray area when it came to appraising. But I really didn't quite understand until now what how gray it really is to you know to figure out to how best to appraise a property and 
I also, um, based on some of your, your advice, realized too that, you know, finishing off a basement or anything else, really, you're, it sounds like you really need to look at any individual property, look at what you're doing it for, what the cost is, not just in monetary amounts, but the cost to your life, your stress, whatever, is it worth it to you? Probably, I would imagine, also how, how soon you want to sell the property. Because if you don't want to, you just buy a property and you think you're going to be there for the next 10 years. Well, you might want to add that deck and that patio and things that you're, you're going to get a very nominal return on that investment when you go to sell it. But you're going to get a lot of enjoyment. And what's that measured by in the next 10 years using it? So a lot of that sounds very, very subjective and, you know, need a good realtor to walk you through it, right? <laughs> Very clear. An appraiser who is worth their salt, who really understands what their job is, is going to make less subjective adjustments and more understanding of supported adjustments. And that, I think, is, is key. That can be the difference between uh, overvaluation, undervaluation, or correct what I call correct valuation, which means uh, which means that we look at the market, understand the market and what it's really doing and do less of the emotional decisions. I think that da, 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 versus I know that because I have support in the marketplace. I've got the numbers to back me up. I've used the tools that are required to come up with an accurate valuation. What is that pool worth? There's a difference between licking your finger, sticking in the air and saying $15,000 and going back to the books and really crunching the numbers and using things like regression. But, you know, the, the, the various tools that we use out there to be able to um, to value properties, it can't just be about subjective adjustments. If it is, you're going to end up with a situation that you you brought up at the first of the program here where you have wildly different uh, values depending on two different appraisers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So your podcast and, and the type of work that you do, all your uh, writing, are they uh, geared towards – um, licensed appraisers or just people who want to know more about appraising? Which is helping appraisers. Most appraisers are great technicians. They really understand what it means to appraise and appraise well because they've been trained under good mentors. Where sometimes we lack as appraisers is understanding how to run the business side of things. So my niche is helping appraisers to be the CEO of their business, to run successful businesses so that they can be great appraisers and continue on into the future. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I <clears throat> love your podcast. Uh, that is a great niche. And how can how are all the ways that people can find you? It is, is, to, is to hit my uh, website. You can find my podcast there. You can find my blog there. You can get a hold of me. You can connect with us through Facebook. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to, to connect with me. But if people are interested, they can just go to www.theappraisercoach.com, theappraisercoach.com. All right. And also your, your Facebook, is that that's also The Appraiser Coach? Look up The Appraiser Coach and, uh, and my lovely bald head will be right there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dustin. You've been terrific. Oh, well, thank you, Patty. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. And this wraps up this episode of the Pitbull Patty Show, where we're keeping it real in real estate. So until next time. <laughs> Thank you.